Good morning to you. Wow, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Let me just tell you that um, every week when I'm able to and here to share God's word with you, I learn more than probably you do <laughs> as I prepare and God speaks to uh, us. And so I hope that really uh, I need your prayers. I need to continue prayers to uh, give you the message that God wants you to have. It's not necessary. It's not important that I give you what I think. It's really important what God thinks. And I hope that that's what you're finding as God speaks to you in each and every message. I'd like to begin today by telling you a story that happened during World War II. Uh, there was a story of a commanding officer calls his men. He lines them up in front of him. And uh, there was going to be a very dangerous mission, and he needed volunteers for this. He wasn't just going to command his men to go into this. He said, I want volunteers to come. And so he uh, called, listed the, and outlined the mission, and he says, I need volunteers to go. And uh, so he said, anybody who wants to volunteer, please step forward two steps. And so he looked down on his notes for a minute to make sure he didn't miss anything. And then when he looked up, it looked like nobody moved. Everybody was still lined up exactly where they were, he thought. And so he was very disappointed and so very quickly, one of his aides uh, saw his disappointment, ran up to him and said, Sir, you don't understand. He said, understand what? And he said, everyone volunteered. Everyone stepped up two steps. And so uh, this was the kind of uh, reaction, so to speak, that uh, Nehemiah got after he just simply shared with them the situation, and then he uh, shared with them the need to rebuild the wall. And so in chapter 2, verse 18 after he had shared with the people what God had done and opened the heart of the king, it came and said, let us arise and build. And it was they who said it, not him who said it. It was they who said it. So they all stepped forward two steps. And so the, uh, the, the, the lesson there for all of us is that God's people should respond wholeheartedly uh, to uh, the direction of the Lord. Uh, they shifted their faith into action and got to work. And this becomes very important. Now, some people may be wondering, that maybe you're joining us for the first time, and you're wondering, you know, why are you going through the book of Nehemiah? Isn't it Christmas? You know, <laughs> we should be into Christmas uh, messages. And that's true. That's true. And so it is linked to this somewhat, but uh, in these first early couple of weeks, we do want to hit you and uh, share with you some uh, pertinent messages. And so here we are in the book of Nehemiah. And let me just uh, do a rewind for just a second. Let's go backwards. Let's fast forward it backwards. And let's see where we've been. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, as we learn in chapter 1, he cares about what God cares about. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And so when he cares about what God cares about, God can, uh, brings to him this report and uh, the, the, uh, the misery and the terrible condition of God's people in Jerusalem. And so he goes into a period of uh, weeping and, and waiting and praying uh, to see what God would do. And so he knows he needed some basic things. He needed permission from the king. He needed protection from the king. He needed provisions from the king. He needed the king to provide all of these things. And, and these are major provisions. I mean, these were not just little things. These were big things. And so, lo and behold, as he prays, four months later, God gives him every one of those miraculously and wonderfully. And so he takes this as an affirmation, and he moves forward and moves to Jerusalem. 
So in Jerusalem, he goes there and he examines the situation and he uh, is still affirmed that this is what God wants him to do and to help the people to do. And so he calls the people forward and they uh, volunteer to, re- they, to uh, wholeheartedly rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so that catches us all up. Now, to help us in chapter 3, there's 32 verses, so there's no way that we're going to go through all 32 verses. But let me do it by this way, and that is I'm going to take you through a brief tour. I want to take you through a brief tour. Now, uh, the walls are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. There's almost, almost three miles or uh, about four kilometers worth of, uh, of, of territory covered in this. So it's not a small space. It's a pretty large space. And so the, the task is not easy. There's roughly about seven gates that have to be repaired, seven gates. And so this gives you some idea of the scope. It's not just a matter of piling some, you know, one stone upon another and then it's all done. But you have to allow for these things like these gates. And so there's at least seven of them that need to be repaired. And so uh, this is a, a, a big job that has to be done. And so let's start our tour in the north wall. Let's start our tour in the north wall. And this is found in verse, uh, verses uh, 1 to 5, the north wall. Okay? And so uh, when we start up there, we find that there are uh, sections of the wall that are very close to the temple area. Now, as you read each of these descriptions, as you, don't lo- lose yourself in what's there at what wall. But I want you to center in on the people. What are the people doing as we go to each section of the wall? Like, for example, here you see in in verse 1, you see that the priests and the villagers were working together side by side. If you look at verse 1, it says, uh, it it tells you that. And so this becomes very important to us to see what are the people doing at each of these sites because that's what God wants us to pay attention to. What is it that the people are doing? And here you see people working side by side. Now, if we go to the west wall, we go down to the west wall, and this is uh, how this falls out in the scripture, and this is found in verses 6 through 12. You will notice that the people come from all different kinds of backgrounds, but they're all working together. And that's the marvelous thing about this. And so in the first part, you got priests and villagers. The second part, you got people from different occupations, vocations, and backgrounds working together. And then if you go down to, from the uh, moving west, you go down to the south wall. This is found in verses 13 through 14. And here, this is the, the longest stretch of the wall, but the, but the least damaged, okay? And so perhaps it would be easy to think that, well, you know, this is the easiest part to repair, but, you know, this is an important wall because where you see here is you see that uh, this is actually the, the location of what they call the dung gate. This is where all the garbage was taken out of Jerusalem. But you find people of some stature who are out there working on this wall. You know, there was no job too dirty for these people to do, and so they got into it there. And then if you go, go you complete our tour, we go to the eastern wall. And the eastern wall is recorded for us in verses 15 through 32. Now, this is the part that was most damaged, and so this required the most work. And this also was the section that uh, guarded, or as it were, protected some of the really cherished sites. This is kind of like uh, 
uh, the Orchard Road, so to speak, of, of Jerusalem, because this is where the tombs of the kings were and, and things like that, very important sites to the people of Israel. And so, but you, again, you find that there were high officials that were involved in this section of the wall. And there were different people repairing uh, sections of the wall, and of the, uh, not only in front of their houses, but also in the different districts. And so these are the kinds of activities that are going on. What I want you to focus on is what are the different people doing, okay? This is not just a, 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 a tour to be touring, but rather it is a tour to learn from. Exactly what we're going to do. And so there's uh, many to be, lessons to be learned, but I just want to take you through. The first one is that let's learn the, some valuable lessons about doing God's work together. It is important that every leader lead by example, Every leader has to lead by example. Now, there's no apology for this. This is the way it ought to be. And so where do we see this? Well, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Elasheb, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. Uh, It says there in... uh, in verse 1, it says, They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Hundred of Hanil. And so what happens here is you find the priests leading the way. They led by example. And so uh, not everybody did that, of course, because if you look at verse 5, you find that there was a group of people called the Tekoites, and they made repairs also. But notice here in verse 5, their nobles did not support the work of their master. Of their, or the governor. They didn't follow the lead. They didn't follow what Nehemiah was saying to the people. And why would God bother to report the fact that here the priests were out there in numbers rolling up their sleeves and getting at it, but then there's this other group. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting involved with this. I think he offers a powerful contrast. And what he is saying to us is that leaders have to lead by example. Now, this is not an isolated incident. Because if you go through scripture and you look at what um, God uh, admonishes and teaches leaders to do, he says lead by example. For example, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look at verse 12. He's talking to Tim- Paul is talking to Timothy. And look at what he says. He says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, Show yourself a what? An example of those who believe. And so leaders are to be living examples of what uh, the faith is about and what uh, God is doing in their life. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, there also is support for this. If you look at 1 Peter Chapter 5, elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, it says, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be what? Examples to the flock. You see, one of the most powerful things that leaders do is they lead by example. 
And so if you're a leader out there and you're saying to yourself, we're going to lead the people into this, this building for God, we have to lead by example. You see, we can't just sit there and say, you do this and you do that, and we've done our part. No, we've got to roll up our sleeves, and we have got to get in there and show the way. Okay? And so it also should be, uh, we should choose wisely. And as I have said, uh, many, uh, the scripture has said many a time, we need to be careful. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says, these men must also be tested, then, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond repentance. And so talk is holding up, you see? And so it's not enough to have leaders that can talk well and talk a good fight and can talk, hold an argument and so on and so forth. Are they walking the talk? Are they living it? Are their words and their walk the same, you see? And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 22, there's also this uh, caution here. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby sin for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So when leaders live out their faith according to God's word, they qualify to lead. When the people see the example of the leaders, then they can follow. And so when we're talking in this message, we're preparing ourselves for this task at hand. Why was these messages, why did these messages come the way they do? Because we want people to really understand what we're getting into. We want them to understand what God demands when you go into a work for God. All right? And so caring about the things God cares about, having being weeping and praying and waiting and watching God affirm things is important. But also, it's important that everybody has a part. The part for leaders are to lead by example. And so every leader in this room, and there are care group leaders, there are ministry leaders, there are all kinds of leaders in this room. Sunday school teachers, you are a leader. You have to lead by example. And so please get that under your belt. The next thing is that it is important that every individual participates. Every individual participates. You look at Nehemiah chapter 3 again, and if you, you, when you observe the people who rebuilt the wall, they came from many different backgrounds and walks of life, okay? And so this is uh, really important. Like, for example, like, for example, if you look at verse 8, there were different people from different skills, the goldsmith and the perfumers. There were people of different ages and generations. Look at verse 12. It says there next to him, Shalom, the, the son of Halohesh, the official of the first half of the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters. These are people that are coming from different generations. My friend, if you are the son of a person who is coming to GBC and you are here, work hand in hand together. This is an intergenerational deal. And so you have officials and his daughters in verse 12. In verse 17, you have people from different backgrounds, uh, people that you would think at first may not have that much in common. But you look at verse 17. And after him, the Levites carried out repairs under Raham, the son of Anat. Next to him, uh, Hashabiah, the official, the half of the district of Kaleah, carried out repairs for his district. So you have a Levite, one who works and serves in the temple. 
And who is he working next to? He's working next to a government official. You see? So you have people coming together of all these different backgrounds. People of different states, vocations or stations in life. In verse 32, and you look at verse 32 and you see it mentioned here, between the upper room of the corner of the sheep gate, goldsmiths and the merchants carried out their repairs. You had people who were producing things and you had people who were selling what was produced. And so, you see, you get this whole mosaic of things going on. But the point is, every, every individual participated. People from many different skills and backgrounds and interests came together to do God's work. God has given his church people of different spiritual gifts to build his church. You're familiar with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says there, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each of us has been given something to uh, contribute to the work of God. Everyone has a place at the table, okay? At the table of God's work, there should be no empty seats, okay? There should be no empty seats. And so God prepares all of us for that. But also note this. It says that God thought it important enough that he listed who does and who doesn't participate. In verse 5, the nobles did not participate. God made a point of that. But in verse 20, you find somebody who was just the opposite. What was verse 20 of chapter 3? If you look at it, it says this. It says in verse 20, After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, zealously repaired another section from the angle up to the doorway, the house of Elishab, the high priest. Notice here, he zealously. God knows who is participating and who isn't. You see, God didn't just glance over this whole thing. And he wrote these things for us to point that out. God knows who is participating and who is not. And the fact is that in the time that when Jesus comes back, we will be held responsible. We will be judged and then we will be rewarded accordingly. Okay? In, um, in one of our building programs, this was one of the joys. I, I, I love this part. You have to understand me. I, I, I get excited about some things that other people don't get excited about. But we had just bought the building and and you know there was just you know 70 adults and we bought this piece of land and God opened the door and uh, it was you know $600,000 now you say 600,000 that doesn't sound much you know like much but to us and in, in, in for 70 people that was a lot of money $600,000 and we bought four acres of land I don't know how many hectares that is but that's a lot okay four acres of land and two buildings and so you know we were all washed out with money you know going into the building program and so we had to save money so what we did we said okay we're going to paint the inside of the building ourselves to save money we can save thousands of dollars if everybody come with a paintbrush and a roller you know and we'll get out there and one of the greatest that was one of the greatest uh, events of my life uh, was to see people of all shapes and sizes vocations and professions ages and abilities working together for one thing for god's glory 
There were the, some people came and they said, well, look, I, I don't know anything about painting, but I can cook. And so some people cooked. Other people said, well, you're going to need people to clean up after the, after the mess. I can clean up. And so there were people who came and cleaned. There were some people who said, I can't do much, but I'll carry the supplies over to the people. I'll, you, you need something? I'll run to the store and get it. And so everybody was involved from the young and to the old. And it was amazing because you see eye surgeons, you know, ophthalmologists working next to a guy who was a blue-collar worker. And everybody was into it. And we had this one goal in mind, to do it for God, to do it for God. Now, I must say, the paint got everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I have to admit, sometimes the colors didn't look quite right. <laughs> but it worked. And it was a great, great experience to see everybody coming together. Now, why do I share that with you? Because if and when God moves and we go into this project, there is a place for everyone to participate. Okay? There is a place for everyone. And so I I think we ought to start thinking now about how much we can do and stop moaning and groaning about how little we can do. You see? Because that's one of Satan's favorite tricks. He sits out there and he says to you and he says to you and he says to you and he says, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't contribute that much. I can't do, you know, he focuses so much on what we can't do, we forget what we can do. You see? We we, we have to change our mindset. We have to put... Have to put back that can-do spirit that used to be of Singapore, all right? We've got to get that back. And it's got to come back into the church because there's so much going on, so much negativity that sometimes goes on amongst God's people that we end, we end up paralyzed and we end up doing nothing. And so start thinking now, not later. Start thinking now of how much you can do and stop moaning and groaning about what little you can do. Every believer can and should participate. It is important that everyone participate from the oldest to the youngest, from the weakest to the strongest, from the most well-known to the least well-known. There is a place at the table for all of us. And so if you're thinking out there and you're seeing God beginning to work in your heart one way or the other, and and you're caught in this web, I can't do much. I can't do this. You know, I'm too weak. I'm too, you know, this, that, and the other. Start changing your mind now and ask God to reveal to you to use what you got for his glory. Now, so those are the two things so far that we've learned. What? We've learned that leaders lead by example. Then we've learned that every every individual needs to participate. But here's one more lesson that I think is very important. And that is important that everyone... Be responsible. Everyone be responsible. Leader, follower, it doesn't matter. Official, non-official, it doesn't matter. Priest, non-priest, it doesn't matter. Everyone has to feel a sense of responsibility. Responsibility for what? Well, if you look at verses 21 through 23... We have a, 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 a very revealing uh, set of verses, verses 21 through 23. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakoth, repaired another section from the doorway of Elisha's house, even as far as the end of his house. 
After him, the priests and the men of the valley carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashbub carried out repairs in front of their house. And then, after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, uh, son of Ananiah, uh, carried out repairs beside his house. So what do you have mixed in there in verses 21 to 23? You have people that are building in front of their house. This was a stroke of genius on the part of Nehemiah. He says, look, this is how we're going to get this thing done, is that if each one would just take responsibility for their house, building the wall in front of their house, that would be good. But as we just looked at, people were not building just in front of their house, but in front of other people's houses too. They took responsibility not only for their own welfare, but also for the welfare of others. And you see, this is the part that is, is, is going to hit us. It's the part that is really going to concern us. Because if a person says to themselves, for example, they said, I have young babies, I have young children. So I'm going to pour my money, I'm going to designate my money for the nursery. Okay? Now that's a good start. But what about the youth? What about the elder adults? What about all the others? Well, and someone else will take care of them. Everybody has to be responsible for not only their welfare and their interests, but also in the interests of everyone else as well. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. You'll see this very powerful message coming through in verses 3 to 4. And it says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, he says. And this is, you know, just a a, a bold, in-your-face statement. And he says, yes, there are going to be those who have very special passions and desires about this or that part of the ministry. But you know, God says, if you participate, feel that sense of responsibility for everyone and not just yourself, not your self-interest, but everybody's welfare, you see? And so this is, uh, I hope this will, uh, this will begin to shape our minds as, as we begin to see how God wants us to participate, is that it's not just one group, it's not just one ministry, but it's all the ministries, it's all the people. It's for the people who yet to come, from Badari, from Payalabar when they closed the airbase, and all of that other stuff. You see? And so we can't just think of GBC alone. And this is also the example that was given to us by Christ when he died on the cross for us. If you look at, starting with verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And when Christ gave that example, he gave her examples in so many ways of what it meant to be selfless, okay? And to be 
to, be, to look out for the interests of all. And so I hope that we take that up as we uh, look, uh, that spirit, as we take up this work for God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, what was it that Christ's sacrifice accomplished? If you look at starting with verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself, although uh, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has recommitted to us the word of reconciliation, it says. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For those who are new with us, for those who have never heard this before, or maybe you've heard it many times, may God impress upon us that we are ambassadors for Christ. And so all of this good stuff that God wants us to be engaged in is part of this whole idea of feeling the welfare of others. And how can we not feel for the welfare of others without thinking of Christ and the cross? You see, our goal is to see everyone reconciled to God who, as, as possible. In God's work, the best you, do the best you can and let God top up the difference. I think that's a good Singapore way to say it. You see? The, the spiritual and physical welfare of our own families and also those all around us depends on it. The church we build today will have an impact on the people, of, of, uh, the people and generations of tomorrow. And we must keep that in mind, you see. We don't build just for today. We don't minister just for today. But we minister for generations for in the future too, you see. And so all of this involves having a sense of responsibility as we get into doing what God wants us to do. So, every, in, every one needs to be responsible. Every individual needs to participate. And every leader needs to lead by example. Okay? God hasn't made it a great mystery as to what, you know, how he wants things done. He reveals it to us clearly by example. And we should take those examples and run with it. Now, the church family is about to take a big step. I understand that. But, but we have to ask ourselves, are you personally ready to do God's work? Are the leaders ready to lead by example? Are, is every member ready to participate at some level? Is everyone willing to take responsibility for themselves and for others? If each one does their part, the whole thing gets done and it gets done right. You see? And so I want to encourage our congregation. Please, I'm not forcing you into anything. If anything, I'm pointing you back to God. And when God speaks, please obey. But you got to go in with your eyes open, my friend. This is not a flash in the pan. Oh, the Sunday on December 1st, 2000. I felt really strong about doing this. And then come December 2nd, well, I've changed my mind. <laughs> you know, come January 2nd, I've changed my mind. When February 1st comes along, I've changed my mind. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. 
You go in and you settle these matters now. And then you'll be ready. We will be ready as a church. So, through the life and experience of Nehemiah, we can learn precious lessons for Christian service. Among those lessons is the importance of every leader leading by example, every individual participating, and everyone being responsible, not only for their own welfare, but the welfare of others. So I'll leave you with this. The question is not how much or how little you have or can do, but the question is what will you do with what you have and you can do? You see? That's where the question lies. And I hope that God will lead each and every one of us carefully, patiently, and wisely in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Father, there's so many things to consider. But Lord, your word sort of helps us sort out the things that are really important. And these matters can only be settled in the heart. Because if we don't care for the things that you care about, that's a matter of the heart. That's a matter of the heart. If we can't get ourselves squared away on this idea that we can participate at some level and that we want to participate in some level, that is a matter of the heart. And so, Lord, you are speaking to our hearts today. And you're asking us to get ready. You're asking us to settle these important matters of the heart, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today. And so, Father, 